Patience is one of those things that you're taught from a very young age, isn't it? We're trying to teach our kids that at home, and we have this little rhyme that we go over with them where we say, have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. For when you're impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that, that God is patient too, and think of all the times that other people had to wait on you. And it's this little sing-song limerick to teach them that it's important and that they need to be patient. God is teaching me patience currently right now where I stand because I had never seen any of the Marvel movies, right? I, I just hadn't seen them. They didn't register. They weren't on my radar. And then Disney Plus showed up, and I just started binging them. So my wife and I have been just pouring through the, the Marvel movies, and we're all the way at the end. We're at Endgame now, right? And we last night finished up Infinity War, and I just laid there stewing after Infinity War ended because I'm like, wait, no, that's, but what happens? Like, you have to go get Thanos, and this is, you gotta, like, this isn't, we're, this isn't the end. What's going on? And I knew there was another movie, but it just frustrated me because I'm like, no credits, no! Go away, credits! I need to know now what happens. So then we immediately started watching Endgame, and we got like 20 minutes into Endgame, and then we're old, so we fell asleep. So today we get home from church, and we're like, well, let's pick back up. So we pick back up, and we continue watching Endgame, and you see Fat Thor, and you see you know, everything else going on, and we're right kind of at the part where they've all gone back in time, and that's when my kids all woke up from their naps today, and we had to turn it off. So I'm impatient right now, because I want to go and find out what happens in the rest of the movie, because right now they're all in their different years back in time, um, trying to, to, to do everything they can do to get the stones back so that Thanos, yeah, I never thought I'd be given this much Marvel detail in my life, but here I am. To illustrate the fact that what, that I'm, that I'm impatient right? It's, it's something that, that and humility, right? Those are the two things that we can say, man, I know I need more of these things, and yet we don't want more of those things. And it just so happens that last week I taught on humility in men's Bible study, and this week I get to teach on patience in the bridge. So God is working on my life. But as you think about James and you think about the context, last week Evan was here and he was talking about money and he was talking about the danger of riches and wealth and everything. And we say, well, why is James dealing with that? And then what does that have to do with the cross-applied life? And if you remember, the, the people that James was writing to, they were dispersed. They had been driven away from their homes. They were living in, in foreign lands. They were living in a place that wasn't where their family was, wasn't where they were used to, wasn't familiar. They didn't have their possessions. They didn't have their... Their, their wealth that they had once had before they were driven away by persecution. So the temptation, whether it be in chapter 4 to worldly living or the temptation to you know, pursue riches that can corrupt was strong with this group of people because it would have been an out from where they were. It would have been a source of comfort for them and a, and a way for them to escape the, the suffering that they were going through. And so James is warning them against that and now, though, he begins to bring this whole letter to a, a close and to land the plane of his argument, so to speak, and he does so by calling for this patience. You remember how the letter started, don't you? A similar theme, a similar note. He said, consider it all joy when you encounter various, what? Trials and suffering, right? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance perseverance, steadfastness, right? Which is what? It's, it's a product of patience. So the book is, is this letter is bookended by this theme of, of being patient. 
And James is returning to this theme, and he's calling our attention back to it, and he's, he's saying, look, don't pursue the, the pitfalls of worldliness, with, which in chapter 4 makes you an, an enemy of God. Don't run after riches and wealth, which can corrupt you, but instead, he says, I want you to remain patient. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Pick up in verse 7 of chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to read down through verse 12. James says, be patient, therefore, brothers. In fact, in the Greek, the word patience, makrothumia, it's at the, the very beginning of this paragraph. So James is emphasizing patience. He's saying, this is what all of this is about. It's about patience. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In verses 7 and 8, right off the bat here, the word patience is used three times. In fact, it's used twice right away in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. That word patient, it it means what your mom always said it meant, right? Which is to be peaceful as you're awaiting an outcome. Not to get worked up, not to get anxious, not to get angry, not to be short-tempered, not to grow weary of waiting, not to try to grab the reins yourself and take things into your own hands, but to stay calm, to stay peaceful, to stay tranquil, and to wait for things to work themselves out. Well, at the beginning, James is talking about being patient as we're waiting for the the reward. You've heard the phrase, a watch pot never what? Boils. Have you ever put that to the test? There's some truth in that, right? You're standing there, you're waiting for the water to boil so you can throw your ramen in there or whatever you have, and it just seems like it's never going to get there. And the tiny little bubbles start coming up to the surface, and you're like, quit teasing me, just boil already, right? It's that impatience and waiting for the, the good, waiting for the outcome, waiting for the reward. And sometimes we like to jump, jump the gun. We're like, well, it's close enough to boiling, and you, you throw whatever you're cooking into the pot that's not boiling yet, and it, it always what? It always ends up taking longer, doesn't it? Because you didn't wait for the, the fullness of time to be able to, to put that in. James uses the illustration of the farmer. He says, look, a farmer plants, and a farmer sows his his seed in the field and a farmer works the field and a farmer waters and a farmer he goes out and and faithfully weeds and pulls out everything else and he guards his his land so that there aren't any any animals that come in to steal his crops or any marauders that would come in to to steal his things he he does all of these things and he, he is patiently waiting for the fruit of his labors and if you think about it if the farmer goes too early to harvest his crop he may get a few good whatever he's growing at the time, apples, oranges, whatever, but he's really going to miss out on the fullness of it, isn't he? He's going to truncate it. He's going to lose out on the full harvest that he would have received had he remained patient. And so the farmer has to remain patient. And you and I, as, as Christians, James is saying, look, as, as you're in a world that's hostile to you and hostile to your God, 
as you're in a world where, man, you're going to face trials. You're in a world where it's, it's just hard to bridle your tongue. It's hard to, to not want to pursue the desires of, of your flesh. If, as you're living in this world, James is saying, hey, you need to wait patiently, and it's going to be worth it in the end. Just like for the farmer, it's worth it when he brings in that full crop, when he brings in all of that. Likewise, for you and I as Christians, as we plant and sow righteousness and obedience here on earth, there's going to come a day in eternity when we reap the rewards of our obedience. Our first point tonight is this, patiently wait for the fruit of your faith. Patiently wait for the fruit of your faith. One of the, the other lessons in, in regards to patience that we're trying to teach our kids is the, the patience to save money. I remember being young, and maybe some of you still have this, this problem, but you would get money and, and it would, the old metaphor, it would burn a hole in your pocket, right? As soon as you got anything, any like $1, $2, 50 $5, you were like, I, what, what can I buy? And sometimes we'll take our kids out to Target and, and they'll have money that they've gotten for their allowance for the chores that they do. And we're there and they're looking around and, and they don't have enough to buy the really big thing that they want, but they've got money and they're like, well, can I buy this? Can I buy that? Can I buy this? Can I buy that? And the things that they're pointing to, are, it's just junk. It's, it's stuff that they don't really care about. They just are, are so impulsive and so consumed with spending the money that they have. They can't see the reward in waiting and in being patient for getting something that's going to be even better down the road. Well, Peter talks about a a future inheritance that's promised to you and I. And he talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you're in James, it's it's the next book. If you've got a physical Bible, it's it's literally the next page is what we're talking about here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Go to that passage with me. Peter is similar to James. He's, he's writing to people who are under persecution. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. James is writing to the dispersion, the people who have been driven away from their homes. So James and Peter are writing to the same types of people. And Peter says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this future inheritance, in this you rejoice, though right now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there Peter's talking about this future inheritance that he says is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's being kept, it's being reserved in heaven for you. And so there's that element of of our patience here while we're on earth, that that is ultimately the fruit of our faith. And if we will be patiently obedient and faithful to God while we are here, that's what awaits us. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Stop. This is twice now. That happened to me on Friday during my sermon too. I'm going to have to stop wearing this thing while I preach. 
But that's what's waiting for us. If we're going to stay obedient, if we're going to stay faithful, God has said, look, here's the reward. Here's what's out there. Here's what's waiting for you. But he said, it's, it's not to be had right now. And so our flesh says, you know what, I want gratification right now. I want satisfaction right now. I want the worldly pleasures right now. And so whatever that takes, I'm going to do that. I, I, I need to have my desires, my lusts, my cravings satisfied right now. And God is saying, if you, will, if you will deny yourself that satisfaction now, there's something that's going to blow all of that out of the water that I have reserved for you in the future. But that requires patience. If you think about saving up to buy a car, maybe some of you are right there, or maybe you've done that in the past, and you kind of get to a, a certain amount, and you're like, well, I could go out and buy this hoopty, or I could be patient for another couple months, maybe six months, and, and buy something that's actually reliable. I looked up, by the way, the definition of a hoopty, and here's what it is. Some of you may feel like this is you, and some of you are about to learn that you drive a hoopty. Here it is, Okay. It's this, any car that meets the following criteria. Number one, the driver must enter the car through the passenger side. <laughs> Number two, you have three different brand and size tires on the car, and three of them don't have a hubcap. Number three, your exhaust is held up by half of a clothes hanger, and the other half is your antenna. Number four, it backfires every three blocks, the loudest backfire being when the car is turned off. Number five, you have to open the door at the drive-through as the windows don't roll down. Some of you guys are like, oh man, guilty. That one hit me. Number six, you only get one AM station and the tape deck eats all the tapes inserted. It could have just said you have a tape deck. Number seven, you can't open the glove boxes. The whole thing will fall off. This one's my favorite. Number eight, if you let go of the steering wheel while driving, you'll make a U-turn. <laughs> Number nine, you must manually move the blinker lever up and down as it no longer blinks on its own. <laughs> Number 10, you have to keep one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas when at a complete stop. Number 11, it has the same temporary registration sticker in the window for the last 18 months. And number 12, it has all of the above issues but still has a $200 professional tint job on the windows. If that's you, you may be driving a hoopty. And you think about it, and you're like, well, yeah, I could buy that now. And in, in some ways, it would satisfy me at least temporarily because it would get me, I would have a car. I could get from point A to point B. And I wouldn't have to depend on my family. I wouldn't have to depend on my friends. I wouldn't have to, to depend on the bus or Uber or whatever it may be. And so it would be satisfying for me to, to take the money that I've saved and, and to, to get this car because then I'll, just, I'll have a car. And who cares if it does a U-turn when I let go of the steering wheel? But after a little bit of time, right, that's, that's going to grow pretty old, isn't it? And maybe you buy that, and then all of a sudden, things start going wrong with it left and right. And all of a sudden, now you're investing way more money in that than you would have invested had you just been patient and saved up a little bit more and bought a car that's reliable down the road. See, sometimes, y'all, that's what we do with our faith. We, we satisfy our longings on the hoopties of the world when God is promising us something that's so much better if we wait. And so as you have desires, one of the ways that you can begin to cultivate this patience as you wait for the fruit of your faith is, is to begin to suspect every desire that you have. I want this. I long for this. This is something that I feel like I need. 
And man, this is a season where we're being barraged with everything left and right telling us, here, want this, desire this, lust after this, right? As far as material possessions go. So when you have a desire, but even if it's a desire to say, you know what, this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to do with my career. I want a family. I want to be married. I want to take every desire that you have and question it. Ask, how is it going to help you serve, honor, glorify the Lord? And if the answer is, well, it, it, it won't, then James would say, you know what, be patient because that thing that you desire, you may get temporal satisfaction with that, but God has something that's so much better for you. Ask about your motives behind that desire. What's driving my motivation behind this? I want to get married. Why do I want to get married? Is it because I, I need the security of having somebody else in my life? Is it because I've, I've turned marriage into an idol in my heart? And I need that in order to be fulfilled. I need that in order to, to feel like that I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And if I don't have that, then I'm not going to be happy. Is that why I have that desire? Because if it is, then James would say, you know what? Be patient and trust that the Lord has something that's so much better for you, reserved for you, waiting for you. Or ask, you know, if, if I get this desire, what is it that I'm going to be giving up in my relationship with the Lord? Is this going to cause me to, to, to miss out on something that God wants me to experience by being patient right now instead? Is this going to produce a, a lack of faith or manifest a lack of faith in the Lord? Another way, though, to, to, to patiently wait for the fruit of your faith is to think much of heaven. And I don't just mean quantity, but I mean quality thoughts. Think much of the, the future that awaits for you. In, in, in Revelation 21, when he's, he's talking about that God is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes, there's going to be no more sickness or, or death or suffering or sorrow because the old things are, are gone. When, when we think about that reality that waits for us, so the reality that we read about in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9, that, it, that inheritance that we're going to receive. Or in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27, when, when there's this picture of the, the new Jerusalem and there's no sun in it. Why? Because Jesus is the sun. There's no temple. Why? Because Jesus is there and there's the brilliance and the glory of God. And, and then there's Revelation 22 that talks about the, the river of life that's flowing from the throne and that there's trees with fruit that heal, brings healing to the nations on either side of this. And that, that guys, that's a real place that, that John is seeing. That's a real place that's reserved for us in the future. And and think much of that, highly of that. Value that. And realize, man, that's, that's guaranteed for you if you're in Christ. Which is so much better than anything this world can offer you. It's like somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm going to ask that you be patient, but I, I'm going to give you a Lamborghini in five years. But I don't want you driving anything less than that in between now and then because this is a high-performance sports car. And when you get in it, I want you to have the full respect for it that it deserves. And so I don't want you to cheapen the, the gift of this Lamborghini or this Ferrari by you getting a, a, a jalopy, a hoopty, and driving that around and acting like that's just as good. So just wait for this. It's guaranteed for you. Just wait. That's where we're at, y'all. That's what God is asking us to do. This is the positive motivation behind patience. This is the, the carrot, so to speak, the carrot and the stick. I don't know why it's a carrot. It should be like a Twinkie because that, that would get me to run after the thing, not a carrot in front of me. But the stick, right, is, is that, that negative side that should drive our obedience and drive our patience as well. And, and James, as he does so often, he also provides that, un, unfortunately, right? But it's, it's good for us to be confronted with the negative side too. Look at verse 8 through 11. 
James says, you also then be patient. It's the third time he's mentioned patience. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is, is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so here James says, you know what? Remain patient, not just because of the future reward that exists and how much better it is than anything this world offers, but remain patient because of uh, the judgment that could follow if you are impatient. Verse 8, you also be patient, establish, strengthen, resolve, be committed in your hearts. For, for why, why, why should I be committed? Because for the reason is, is that the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is a Greek word called parousia, which meant the, the, the second coming of the Lord in judgment. And James is saying, be patient because the Lord is going to return in judgment. In fact, he says later, the judge is, is at the door. The coming of the Lord is at hand. It's a phrase that meant it could happen at any minute, at any time. And there was a time in which believers couldn't say that. Because there was a time in which there were prophecies that were yet to be fulfilled before the Lord returned. There was a time in which Old Testament saints looked forward to the first coming of the Messiah. And so there was a time at which this whole idea that the Lord could return at any minute was not a, a reality. But for you and I now, where we sit today in the 21st century, it's very much a reality for us. As you look through the pages of Scripture, there's really nothing left that we're waiting for before Christ returns for His church. And so the, the judge is about to return. And see, when the, the Lord returns for His church and takes His church, that's also the beginning of the time that He's returning as, as the judge on all those that have rejected Him as well. And so there's a call to be patient because we need to make sure that we're not found engaging in the, the, the trifles of the world, being satisfied by the, the lures of the world when Christ comes back. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, the apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so this call to be patiently, faithfully obedient to God because if you're not, you are sowing to the flesh and you will reap corruption. You'll reap judgment. If you're a Christian, you're going to reap the loss of reward. 2 Corinthians 5.10, you're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for all that is done, whether good or evil. And so you're going to be there, and you're going to, you're going to forfeit reward for your disobedience and for your lack of faith and your lack of patience now. And so there's a patience that's fueled by the reward that we talked about initially, but there's this also, this patience that's fueled by a fear of the consequences if we impulsively go after the desires of our flesh if we look for the satisfaction in this world and the hoopties of the world instead of in the, the Ferrari that God has waiting for us. Point number two tonight is this. Remain patient while looking for his return. Remain patient while looking for his return. Do you ever do this? Or is it maybe it's just me. You come up to a stoplight and there's nobody else around. And maybe it's super early in the morning or it's super late at night and you're sitting at the stoplight and it's a, a light that's on a timer. It's not a light that's got one of the pressure sensors. 
and you're sitting there and it's just taking forever and there's nobody, you are the only car that stops at the intersection. And you're looking around and they, like, it, it's not turning yellow, it's not turning yellow, it's not turning yellow, and you're just sitting there and you're growing increasingly what? Impatient? And do you ever look around and, and kind of begin to look around and go, well, maybe I could justify this by just saying the light must be broken because it's not turning and I should just go through the intersection right now. And you're looking around, and what are you looking around for before you do that? A cop, right? Because you know the cop could rightfully pull you over, bust you, and write you a ticket for running a red light. But you're looking around because you're going, I can go if nobody else is going to see this. Well, sometimes, y'all, that's how we treat our relationship with God. It's like we're at the stoplight. We're waiting for his return, and we don't see him. And so we begin to grow impatient, and we begin to realize, you know what? This Christianity thing is, is really it's pretty hard. And I, I'm really not getting what I want. I'm really feeling pretty unsatisfied with my life right now. And, and maybe if I just ran this, this red light, I, I don't see Jesus on the clouds or anything. So what if, what if I just run this red light, so to speak, just this one time and it'll be okay. When you do that in real life, you're taking a gamble that there's no red light cameras, you're taking a gamble that there's not a cop that's watching you from somewhere that you can't see, and maybe you get away with it. But when you do that with your relationship with the Lord, when you grow impatient and you transgress God's law because of your impatience, and you think, well, Christ isn't going to come back right now. I'll have time to repent, I'll have time to confess, I'll have time to break this sin, I'll have time to break this habit. When that becomes your mindset, the, the thing is, you may not get struck by lightning right away doing the act that you're doing, but you haven't gotten away with it because God has still seen it and it is still going against your account. The problem with James is his readers were frustrated and they were frustrated with one another and, and we saw that in chapter three that they were using their words to tear each other down and to, to, to harm one another. And so here again, the words in James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers. They're complaining against one another. Why? Because of their circumstances and they're impatient with their circumstances. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, again, the judge is standing at the door. James is saying, stop complaining about your circumstances. Stop grumbling, stop complaining, stop wishing things were, were better. Stop bickering because Christ could come back at any moment and how is he going to find you? Growing up, if you had siblings, I'm sure you fought with your siblings. And I'm sure there were times when you heard mom or dad coming upstairs while you were in the midst of, a, of an all-out heated argument with your brother or sister and as you heard them coming upstairs, you probably said, shh, quiet, 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 why? Because mom or dad are coming. And you wanted to smooth things over to make sure that you weren't found by mom or dad, what, arguing and fighting with each other because you knew that that wouldn't please them. Well, it's the same thing going on here. James is telling his readers, look, stop grumbling, stop complaining, stop bickering, stop being so petty because God could come back at any minute and you really want to be found arguing about this, this foolish stuff when none of that's going to matter anymore? And he holds up two people as examples. He says, consider who? The prophets and Job. The prophets. Take, for example, just Jeremiah for one. Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 38, you know what happens to Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a faithful prophet of God, yes? 
He gave the, the prophecy in the book that bears his name in Jeremiah, but also in the Lamentations. And so Jeremiah has been this, this faithful prophet, and he ends up in chapter 38 prophesying, and the people don't like what he's saying. So you know what they do to him? They take him and they bring him to a cistern. You know what a cistern is? It's a deep pit in a ground. It was meant to hold water. This one, though, was, was dry. It was a broken cistern. It wasn't completely dry because there was mud. And so what they do is they take Jeremiah and they lower him down into this cistern. And it says in the text that he sinks into the mud. And you think, okay, well, that's not great. No, it's not great. But it gets even worse because right after that, one of the servants of, of the, the king who was faithful to, to Jeremiah's message and faithful to, the God, to God goes and, and he, he goes to get help because he says, look, he says, this is what they've done to Jeremiah. They've, they've lowered him into the cistern and he's in the mud and, and if we don't rescue him, they're just going to leave him there to die. And in fact, y'all, you know, a lot of the prophets were killed. They were executed. Why? Because they were being faithful to the Lord and the world didn't like what they had to say. So they were in prison, they were executed, they were, they were beaten, they were mocked. And yet, what did they do? They, they were patient and they were faithful and they were obedient to God. Why? Because they knew the judge was at the door. They knew that they wanted to be honoring him. They knew that one day he was going to return and, and they saw a, a, a very truncated version of what you and I now know because we now have the, the fullness of the, the scriptures. But even with what they knew, they were aware, they knew that they needed to stay faithful to God because he could come back at any minute. And then you've got Job. Job loses what? Job loses everything, doesn't he? He loses everything. And yet he remains patient. After he loses everything, what does it say in the, the text of Job? It says, in all this, Job did not curse God or sin. It's amazing. And yeah, he maybe lost some patience as things went on, but he was quickly put in his place by God and he quickly regained his perspective, didn't he? When he, he was confronted by God and he puts his hand over his mouth and he says, look, I'm, I'm wrong, you're right. You're God and I'm not. And so James is saying, consider their example. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, who were faithful, who were patient, who endured. And you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, who's patient, faithful, and endured. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Why does he throw that in there to fuel our patience in the midst of, of adversity? What does the purpose of the Lord have to do with my patience? Romans 8, right? For we know that God causes what? All things to work together for interaction. Back and forth. Come on. Come on. For good, right? For good. Do you believe that? If you do, that's going to fuel your patience. It's going to enable you to remain faithful. That's going to enable you to remain steadfast in a world that's against you and against your God and against your faith. In a world that's throwing every form of temptation for you to be impatient and for you to be hostile to the Lord, it's going to allow you to go, no, I'm going I'm to fix my eyes on Christ because he's working all things according to, to his good because I know the purpose of the Lord and that he is compassionate and merciful. You know who our ultimate example of that was? Sunday school answer on three, one, two, three. Jesus, yes. Rhymes with schmizes, starts with a J. First Peter 2, 20 through 23. 1 Peter 2, 20-23 says this, For what credit is it if when you sin and you suffer, you endure? The implication is there is no credit. Don't boast in the fact that your suffering when your sin got you into the suffering. 
But he says, if, if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure and you're patient, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, that's encouraging, right? To suffer for God. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So Christ is our ultimate example. As we suffer, we continue entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly, knowing that if we sin to escape suffering, his just judgment is going to come down on us, right? And so again, this is the, the stick, so to speak, in our motivation to be patient. This is what drives us to be patient because of, of the, the healthy fear of God and not to compromise in impatience. The prophets were firmly resolved. Job was firmly resolved. Jesus was firmly resolved and completely committed to enduring the adversity he faced. And these guys didn't need to go around blowing their own horns or tooting their own horns, did they? In fact, it's quite the opposite. So many of the prophets live lives of, of obscurity. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brothers... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Guys, this is the, 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 a final call to be all in with your life here. To be patient, not just in your mind and in, in your, your, your heart, not just to be patient because the reward, not just to be patient because his return, but now in light of those two things, he wants your life to bear out your patience, your life to prove your patience. He's saying, look, don't, don't swear by heaven or by earth. Don't, don't boast in those things. Don't take these oaths and say, by, by God Almighty, I am 100% a believer in Jesus Christ and nothing is gonna deter me for this and, and I'm gonna be faithful to God for the rest of my life and nothing can, can sway me from this. In other words, Paul, or James is saying, don't, don't bloviate about your faith. Don't go on putting this show of saying, look at me, look at what a great Christian I am. I'm so great, look at, I'm so faithful, and man, I can't believe that anybody would ever abandon Jesus. I can't believe that anybody would ever deny the faith. I would never do that, only to then, when you have an opportunity to witness to your unbelieving family members, to, to back down from them because you're afraid of what they might think of you. See, James is saying, don't, don't just be a man of, of, of hot air. Talk is cheap, right? The ultimate evidence of patience is seen in a, a steady resolve that doesn't need the, the oaths, that doesn't need to, to swear by heaven, but is just faithful. Their yes is yes, their no is no. And they live a constant, resolved life. Our final point tonight, let your life reveal your patient faith. Let your life reveal your patient faith. Should be life instead of faith. I may have texted that wrong, but let your life reveal your patient faith. I've always wanted to, to be the, the gum guy, right? The, the guy that you, you know is always going to have gum. You know what the problem is, though? As much as I want to be that guy and I want to be thought of as that guy, and I, I will tell my wife, I want to be that guy. You know what the problem is? I never have any gum, right? 
So I can be like, dude, I, I love this gum and I love that gum and I lo- I've got all these gums and I like them all and I don't like this kind and I like this kind and this is the best kind. And if you ever need any advice on gum, come to me. But if you come to me and you're like, hey, can I have a stick of gum? I'm going to be like, dude, I, I don't have any gum. You know when I was a gum guy? When I was dating my wife and I wanted to kiss her. Then I was the gum guy. But just as, as ridiculous as that is to, to, to want to be the gum guy and never to have any gum is, is to be a Christian who talks a big talk but doesn't have a life that backs it up at all that you have a life that's marked by compromise. And so you're willing to stand up and you're willing to put on this facade and you're willing to be like, look at me, I'm this big Christian guy and I do all these things and this is who I am and I love Jesus and I've got the bumper sticker on my car and K-Love on the radio because I don't have any taste in music and, and this, that, and the other thing and, and I love everything else about Jesus and Jesus, 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 I'm gonna get a tattoo of a Hebrew word on the back of my neck and I don't even know what it means and, and I like Greek and it's awesome and I carry the ESV study Bible and I listen to the, the Coltish podcast and I listen to all these things and, and James White is my hero, I've got a poster my room and I got a tattoo of them on my chest, but then you live a life of total compromise. You're a fool. You're a fool. Patience is not seen, and steadfastness and faithfulness is not seen because we talk a big game. If you want to be a, a Christian like James is calling us to be in this text, it's, it's going to be seen in how you live your life. The parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13. You remember that? One of the first parables that Jesus ever told? Talks about the the farmer goes out and he sows the seed. And he throws out seed in these different terrains. And there's four of them. There's one that that misses and just falls on the the sidewalk. And the the birds come and grab it and they take it and it's, it's gone. There's no evidence of life there at all. Then there's a second seed, and the second seed falls in, in the rocky soil that's to the end, end of the edge of the path there. And it's, it's super shallow, but there's enough, there's enough that it can give a, a sign of life, that it's, it, it, it pops up. But then, eventually, the, the, the heat of, of persecution, the, the difficulty of being a Christian, the, the heat of, of the, the worldly opposition comes out, and the sun comes out like that, and it, it withers up that seed, and that seed, that, that plant dies. And then there's a third ground, which is the, the thorny soil. And this seed hits the thorny soil, and the thorny soil, it's growing something. So there's some depth there, and the seed sinks in, and, and it begins to, to grow and show these signs of life. And initially, you're like, man, this is awesome. This is so good. Look at this. There's, there's life. And even in the midst of the thorns, there's life. But then the thorns, which Jesus say, says later represent the, the cares of the world, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the boast of the, of, of the, the, lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, th- those things... They begin to choke out the life of that plant, and that plant dies. And then there's finally the fourth soil, which is the good soil, the rich soil, the fertile soil, and the seed falls there, and it takes root, and it goes down deep, and it abides, and it produces fruit. You know what the deciding factor is in that parable? You know what the litmus test is? It's time. Time and fruitfulness. The ones that fell on the, the sidewalk and, and are gone, you know, that's, that's the person that's the atheist. That's the person that hears the seed and it, the, the, the word of God, the gospel, and there's no response at all. It doesn't interest them. It just bounces right off. They're, they're like, whatever, that's, that's great for you. It's not for me. But then there's this, this rocky soil, and that's the person that is like, dude, I'm, uh, this is awesome. Yeah, all right, Jesus, right? I need, I need Jesus. 
I need him. Yeah, this is, let's, let's go. This is great. Let's do this. I'm, I'm all in. And, and you, you share the gospel with this person and, and they're responding. You're like, wow, man, this is, this is encouraging to see this. Look at this guy. He's on fire for Christ. But then all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute. Oh, the church believes that about, about that subject? Oh, man, you mean I have to, I have to stop doing this to be a believer? Oh, I, I have to believe that God's word is completely authoritative? I have to do what it says? Dude, I don't know if I can do that. And then they begin to drift and they begin to fade away and you see them less and less and less showing up at church. You, you, they, they pull away further and further and further and further from you until all of a sudden there's no more contact. You see, there was the initial life, but the time revealed there was no real life. And then you've got the, the, the thorns, right? And again, just like the, the first person, there's this excitement. And maybe you even see them go, man, I'm all in with the word of God. And yes, and I'm going to submit to this 100%. And, and let's, yeah, biblical marriage and everything else. And I'm, I'm all in. And I'm listening to all the podcasts. And I'm doing this. But then they've never left their sins behind. There's never been a genuine repentance. They want Jesus and the pornography, Jesus and the drugs, Jesus and the alcohol, Jesus and the lying, Jesus and the cheating, Jesus and... And before they know it, under the weight of their own hypocrisy, under the shame and the guilt of their own false profession of faith in Christ, they too begin to drift further and further and further away. But then there's the fourth soil. The one that's excited, that's all in, that's willing to submit to God's word, that's, that's like a drinking from a fire hose. It's like, give me more, 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 give me more. And there's a steadfastness about that person. And they begin to, to pray bold prayers and they begin to grow in their faith and they're reading the Bible outside of church and they're, they're encouraging you, they're texting you saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And they're challenging you and they're spurring you on. And, and there's just a richness about them and they, they don't ever fade away. They're there. Do you see that time is the ultimate revealer there? And it's not words. Because of the three that show life, all three at the beginning would, would boast in their faith. Well, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, yes, this is great. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I need Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. It's, it's him, I'm all in, right? It's not about oaths. It's not about swearing by heaven. It's about the steadfast, faithful life where your yes is yes and your no is no. And time bears that out. And so what does that look like for you to let your life reveal your patient faith? Number one, how do you react when things don't go your way? You don't get the job that you wanted or the grade that you wanted. Or your plans just change. You always dreamed you were going to be doing this and then God has made it abundantly clear for, to you through some painful circumstances that that's not what you're going to do with your life. You don't get the, the relationship that you want. Or any relationship for that matter. How do you react? How do you respond? Next, when gratification is delayed, how do you respond? When you want what your flesh wants, what your lust wants, what you, what you desire so much, and then you realize that you can't have that right now, but it's going to be delayed to a future time, how do you react to that? 
Are you willing to be patient? And because of your commitment to the Lord and your resolve to him and the fact that you said yes to Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to let your yes be yes. Are you, are you willing to say, okay, God, as much as my flesh wants this right now, I, I trust that you've got something better for me in the future. Or are you going to be impulsive and say, okay, if I can't have it this way, I'm going to find it somewhere else in some other way. Uh, growing up, I had a, a mentor that used to tell me this all the time. He said, PJ, don't sacrifice eternal reward on the altar of the immediate gratification. Don't sacrifice eternal reward on, on the altar of immediate gratification. It's not worth it. Finally, are, are you quick to complain or grumble? If things don't go your way, do you find that you, you are quick to, to, to moan and groan and grumble to somebody? You text somebody, I can't believe this just happened. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry that this just happened. I don't know what I'm going to do. Or your conversations with people are continually, man, I don't know why God won't bring this into my life. I wish he would. And I'm praying for this over and over and over again. And he just, he won't answer my prayer, it seems like. And I don't know why. And it's so frustrating. And, or are you one who rejoices in the gifts that God has given you? Are you one who rejoices in the goodness of God? Who says, you know what? Right now, I may not understand what he's doing in my life. And it may not be how I would write my script, but he's God. And I trust that he's got what's good for me in mind. Again, think of uh, Job. Think of the prophets. They didn't go on boasting about their faith, making grand public declarations of their allegiance to the Lord. They just lived their lives as followers of God and trusted the rest to him. There's something about the believer who just has that quiet demeanor, just lives a, a faithful life. Not a lot of pomp and circumstance about them. Not a lot of moments of... of anxious crisis moments or wavering moments, but rather there's just that steady, faithful relationship with Christ. Y'all, that's who we want to be. That's that patient life that bears it out over time. Patience is, is so key in lives. We teach it to our children. It's one of the first things that we learn. We always need more of it. And James wants us to be patient, waiting for that future reward. Patient fearful that if we are impatient and we grab after the pleasures of the world that they offer us, that we're going to be forfeiting reward and, and putting ourselves in line of God's judgment and also patient in the sense that we don't have to boast in these things, but we can just let our lives bear it out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. That's a difficult text. That's a hard text. And we Confess that, admit that, Lord, that, that this world throws so much at us and says, you need this right now, have this right now, take this right now, this will make you happy right now, don't wait on these things. And yet, God, we know from your word that you have a future reward that's so much better than the sinful desires and temptations that this world throws at us. God, allow us to be resolved and patient and faithful and endure, to remain steadfast, to let our yes be yes and our no be no, to be those that have relationships with you that are deep and rich like the seed that falls into the good soil. For your glory in Christ's name, amen.